0: Let me, uh, let me pray for us as we, uh, as we look at this part of God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, Jesus truly is compassionate, that he brought love, and uh, he brought the love that was his own life to show to those who were in need. Father, show us this morning that we are needy, that we, like the woman in this story, are those who carry a reputation as sinners. And so, knowing our need, we would receive the forgiveness that you offer. And we ask this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how you would finish this sentence. The church is full of... What would you say? Hypocrites! Yeah! Actually, isn't that what does the rounds so often? The church is full of hypocrites. You're just a bunch of snobs gathered together in that building with a holier-than-thou attitude, peering down, you're kind of, oh yeah, look at the riff-raff outside looking down on everyone else as just not being good enough. Full, it seems, of legalistic moralism. After all, what's our favourite commandment? Well, actually, it doesn't matter as long as it starts with thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not. And that's what we're known for. The church is full of, well, judgment. Certainly not compassion. And so, if this is your view of church, you're left with one of two problems, really. Either you see Christians as a bunch of hypocrites who preach one thing but practice something completely different and so there's nothing there for you. Or, if you believe that Christians are good people, then you might see yourself as never being good enough to come and join in. Today, I want to show you a claim that Jesus is compassion. That in fact, what he's all about is showing love to those who are in true need. I want to show it to you from this event that happened in Jesus' life. Now, if you've got a handout, you'll have the text on one side and an outline on the other. Keep them handy. If not, make sure you look up Luke chapter 7 in your Bible. And we begin with the teacher, the moralist and the sinner. It's a bit like a pub joke. I just don't know the ending. If you can come up with one, let me know. Right, the story begins with this Pharisee named Simon inviting Jesus to have dinner with him. Verse 36, we're starting from sentence 36. That might seem a strange place to start because we're picking it up in the middle of a story, right? Verse 36 one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The Pharisees were the, the, the moral, the upright. the the pillars of the community, the upstanding citizens. Think you're uh, your Lions Club members, your your Rotarians, those who are known amongst the community as people who do good. They were religious people. They kept all of the commandments. Now, they weren't priests, they weren't the the ordained, they weren't ministers, and this wasn't their profession, but they were maybe your your wardens, your parish counsellors perhaps in the church, those who were leaders and respected They were perhaps what you might think Christians are. This particular man was a generous man. He invites Jesus, this self-proclaimed wandering preacher, a, a poor man by all accounts, I mean famous, but he invites him into his house, come and have dinner with me. And so far it's just a lovely picture of perhaps what the church might be. A bunch of good people gathered around with Jesus. Isn't that lovely? The problem comes when one of Jesus' less savory followers comes in and really makes quite a scene. Can you imagine it? They're lying there on their little recliner, couchy, lounge things that they had when they were eating, and in walks this woman. Verse thirty-seven, who had lived a sinful life in that town. I mean, this woman is a known sinner. I don't know what it was about it, right? I'll leave it to your imagination to know what sort of things she was up to. But they knew who she was. They knew what she got up to. And when she learned that Jesus was there, she goes and brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. It's quite a scene, isn't it? This woman comes in bawling into this civilised dinner party and is just crying over Jesus' feet and they then taking her hair and wiping it, pouring perfume. I mean, it's just... How would you expect Jesus to respond? I mean, it's kind of... It's, it's, it's one of those awkward sort of just, you know, just kind of go, go away, right? Just... just... Is it, is it a bit of that? It's a little bit kind of like a dog humping your leg. You're just kind of like trying to, you know, get off, get up, go away, go, away. is it? I mean, this is a known sinner. In fact, the Pharisee, look what he's expecting, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him. He would know what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. The Pharisee expects Jesus to tell her to get lost. You are not one of the right kind of people. But Jesus, he confronts Simon's attitude with a parable. I don't know if you know many parables. There's lots of them in the Bible. Parables, very simply, are just a confrontation. That's all they are. They're a moment to expose someone's heart. And Jesus does it, as he usually does, quite masterfully. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Go on, teach me. What are you going to teach me? But two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? That's a trap question, isn't it? Two guys owe money. One owes 10 grand, the other owes 100 grand. They owe it to the same person and he cancels both their debts. Which one is going to love him more? And Simon's not dumb. Of course you know which one's going to love him more, right? If someone lent you 100 grand and cancelled that debt, you'd be pretty happy. I don't mind you, if someone, you, someone lent you 10 grand and cancelled that debt, you'd probably be pretty happy too. But Simon well, verse 43, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. Yes! And yet in answering the question, Simon condemns himself. Who is it that Jesus came for? What people did Jesus come to this earth for? I'll tell you, as Jesus reflects the answer back to Simon, he shows us who he came for. It's a a movingly powerful moment. Say for a moment, I wanted to praise James Mayfield to you. I want to tell you about how amazing James is. I'm so grateful to God for James. I love his hard work and determination. He just puts himself in there and serves. I love his gospel heart and his ministry mind. And he just, he gets what we're on about. And he just, he wants to be part of it. And he wants to put his time and his effort and his resources behind it. I I love James. That's quite powerful, isn't it? Someone up the front to tell you. Now, how much more powerful is this? I'm I'm telling all of you, by the way, I'm so grateful to God for James. I love his hard work and his passion and his dedication. I love how he just puts everything about himself in behind God's purposes. His money, his time, his effort. He gets it. His ministry mind is like ours and he just wants to serve Jesus. Now, he's really uncomfortable now, right? But... Jesus turned to the woman as he spoke to Simon. Do you see this woman? Speaking to her, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. The depths of her love for Jesus flow out of how much she has been forgiven do you want to know who Jesus came for he came not for the healthy but for the sick he didn't come for the righteous but for sinners he came to die for our sin not his own he came to make followers not out of the good and the moral and the righteous. It's not like Jesus came into the world thinking, well, I better go and find those pillars of the community and, and form this little club that we're going to. No, he went to find the dregs, those who knew their desperate plight, who knew they needed forgiveness, and who out of that forgiveness would love him passionately, knowing the cost of that forgiveness. Jesus truly is compassion. He brings God's amazing grace. You see, verse 48, Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Are we going to sing Amazing Grace when we when I finish in a bit and sit down and we're going to sing it? But we've kind of lost the meaning of those words, haven't we? Amazing grace. What do they mean? They're just the title of the song now, right? Yellow submarine, amazing grace. I mean, that's just kind of. Let me change the word slightly. Let me use just two different words for you. Instead of amazing grace, how about this? Shocking generosity. Jesus brings shocking. He brings a gift. He's generous. He brings forgiveness. And do you know who he brings it to? The worst. That's who he brings forgiveness to. And that is so shocking, in particular, to moral religious people. People like Simon. What do you mean he's going to forgive? her? Do you know what she is, what she's done, what she's like? Yes. And her I will forgive. The church is full of hypocrites, people say. Well, actually, to start with, we're not full. We've always got room for more, so you're welcome. But if you think that the church is full of hypocrites, you don't understand Christianity. Because Christianity is not about being good. It's about being forgiven. See, a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another. If a Christian goes around saying, I'm a good person, and then goes and does something wicked, you say, well, you're a hypocrite. But you know what Christians say? I am a wicked person. So whenever you see me do something wrong, oh, yeah, he told me. And that's just what I expect of him. He's immoral. He's wicked. He's evil. Yeah. Yeah. Make no mistake, Christians do not claim to be good people. Christianity is not about being good. It's about being forgiven. It's not about being moral. It's about Jesus' death on the cross. He didn't come to teach us to be good. How does he teach anyone to be good by dying on a cross? It just doesn't work. He came to save sinners by dying on the cross in our place. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, quite rightly, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. It's the right question. Who does Jesus think he is to go around saying your sins are forgiven? Who can forgive wrongdoing? There's only one person who can forgive wrongdoing. Do you know who that is? The person who's been wronged. I can't say, uh, uh, Pat, I forgive you for punching Joe doesn't work, does it? I'm not the wronged one. I can't forgive Pat. He's already punched Joe twice. I used him at 8 o'clock as well. Stop punching Joe, Pat. Right, but I, I can't forgive him. I'm not the wronged one. Who can forgive sin? Who does Jesus think he is? Well, who is the wronged party when we sin? God. God is the wronged party. Every single one of us, day after day after day, Wrong God. Every time we harm each other, we're disobeying Him. Every time that we accept this good creation and the gifts that we have because of Him and we don't thank Him, we wrong Him. Every time we live our lives with absolutely no thought whatsoever to His plans, we wrong Him. He alone can forgive. And the only way that you can forgive is to take it on yourself. To take the wrong onto yourself. Jesus died to deal with our failure. How do you deal with your failure? How do you intend on dealing with your lies and your hate and your envy? Dealing with those things that you are embarrassed by, that you're ashamed of, that there is no possible way on earth you would ever stand up right now and declare it before us because of how shameful it is. How do you intend on dealing with that? How do you expect God to forgive you when you can't forgive yourself for it? When you don't even want to think about it. You don't even want to remember what you've done and what you've said and what you've thought. Christianity is not about us somehow dealing with it. It is about Jesus who died for our forgiveness. The first step is you've got to admit your error, you've got to admit your failure. It's a funny club, Christianity, because in order to join, the first requirement as you walk in the door is I'm wicked. Is there any other club where to join? You have to tell them what a wretch you are. Can you imagine going to your golf club? I I believe they ask you for references, right? Character, character references. So you've got to find some friends who are willing to lie about how good you are to get in, right? I mean, that's, oh, yes, they're beautiful. They're great people. They're they're just upstanding members of society. You're right. No other group or organisation is ever going to require you to be honest and to say, I am wicked. Maybe the prison. Prisons, the only other one where you... And even then, right, everyone in prison, you know what they all say, right? I didn't do it. So that—that that, it. It's why grace is so shocking. Because it comes to people who are truly guilty. You can't call a Christian a hypocrite. Because we're wicked. And you see us do something wicked, and you go, yep, that's what he told me. The second step... That it takes is you've got to turn to Jesus. You've got to come to Him to find forgiveness, to find mercy by His death, to find a new start. The past truly dealt with. Truly. Past. Truly past. What you've done, what you've thought, what you've said, gone. Paid for fully. You've got to come to Jesus to find a new life that He brings. By his resurrection and his spirit. You have to... We use that word faith, but I fear that a bit like grace, it's become a religious word and we've lost the meaning. How about this for a different word? Entrust. I I like the word trust, but even I don't think that captures it. The word entrust, it it means to give something to somebody else. We have to entrust our lives into the hands of Jesus to say, I can't do it. I cannot get there. Please, Can you carry me? That the worst of us, the most wicked, the most wretched, the most downtrodden, the one with the worst past, might be able to come to God and be forgiven and become part of God's family. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've become. It doesn't matter how far you find yourself right now from whom even you want to be, let alone God would have you be. It doesn't matter. There is no sin that is too large for Jesus. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, David, but you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know what I've done. And, and maybe I don't. But you know what? God does. God does. And even knowing that, he still offers you forgiveness. The blood of Jesus can wash you clean. And by the way, it also doesn't matter how small or how insignificant you consider your own sin to be. Maybe you do think of yourself as the upright, the moral, the righteous, the, maybe, and yet you know that even a little bit you're going to fail and even that little bit is enough to condemn and it too needs to be washed clean and forgiven. Jesus is compassion. Have you found it? Have you found his mercy? You can tell. You can tell those who have found it. You can tell those who have been forgiven much. Do you know how? They love much. But you know what? You can also tell those who've been forgiven little or perhaps not at all because they love little or perhaps not at all. Just ignoring Jesus as if what he's done doesn't really matter. Ah, oh, yes, yes, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I, I know this stuff to be true, but, but whatever. It, it just, it, it perhaps it's worth a moment of reflection For the Christians among us. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him such that washing his feet with your tears and drying it with your hair and pouring out the most expensive perfume on them and kissing his feet would be the least of the service that you would gladly do for him every day of your life? The church is not full of hypocrites. The church is full of sinners. Those who know ourselves to be irredeemable. We know ourselves beyond salvation. And yet, by God's shocking generosity, the death of his own son in our place, the church is full of those who are forgiven. Jesus is compassion. I wonder, do you know him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that undeserving as we are, wicked, evil, immoral, those who deserve nothing but your anger, Still, you showed your astonishing compassion, your mercy, your love, that Jesus would die in our place. Father, may we know how much we have been forgiven, that we would love Jesus. Father, if there are those among us today who still know themselves to be in the depths of the pits, who know themselves to be far, far from you, would you please show them your love? May they know your mercy, the depth of your willingness to sacrifice so that they might be forgiven. Father, would you show them how to entrust their lives to Jesus, to begin again, to begin anew. And Father, we ask this because this news is too good, this mercy is too great, and we want the whole world to share in it. Amen.